Luke chapter 2, verse number 1. Let's begin reading there. Luke 2 and verse number 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one and to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord showed round about them, and they were sore afraid. For they, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Father, today would you give us, dear God, um, insight and understanding into what you would say to our hearts through this message and through your word. I pray that you would be thorough with us, dear Jesus, and that you would do your work inside each and every heart that's here today and those that are listening on live stream. Bless us, Lord, today because we are dependent upon you. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. One of the most outstanding facts involving the birth of Jesus Christ is the simplicity that surrounds the account that is given to us in the Gospels of His miraculous birth. It's, it's a fascinating story. There is literally nothing elaborate in any of the details. And in fact, the, the story of the birth of Jesus Christ is filled with little people and little places and little things. It's, a, it's, it's just a, it's a beautiful story of how God takes truth and clothes it in its most becoming garment, simplicity. And everything we find about the greatest event in the history of the world is clothed in that simplicity. With the exception of Augustus Caesar, there's not one single thing of this story of, of the birth of Jesus Christ that appears to be what man would consider um, big or extravagant. And the reality that is that Caesar was nothing more than a, than a royal puppet sitting on a throne in faraway Rome, used by God to set in motion the entire world so that Christ would be born, according to prophecy, in the town of Bethlehem. Can I tell you that God has never been impressed with elaborate details? God is not impressed with our ideas of bigness and success. In fact, the Scripture uh, is resplendent with the reality that God uses 
little people to do big tasks. God's always worked that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 through verse 29 says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. God's not interested in propping up somebody's ego trip. God's not interested in building a platform upon which we can beat our chest and crow our virtues and our skill sets and our talents. God's not interested in making man big. God's big enough for anything that needs to be done. God doesn't need big people. God just needs people that realize and recognize the bigness of who He is. And so there's nothing big in this story. God doesn't need our bigness. God used a shepherd boy to slay a giant. He used a shoe salesman by the name of Moody to shake two continents for Jesus Christ. He used an orphan boy by the name of Billy Sunday to evangelize this world and this nation of ours and, and shake it to its very core. He used a, a, a stuttering gypsy boy named Rodney Smith to preach the love of Christ like maybe our nation has never heard. I'm just going to tell you that, that God, doesn't need, God doesn't need the bigness of man. He used a washed up, drunken, alcoholic lawyer by the name of Sam Jones to, to impact our nation. It's amazing the reality of the Scripture and the life that we see in history, how that God uses little people. And so likewise, it should not surprise us when we come to the place where Jesus Christ is born, that God chose a small rural setting. No, no, no big metropolis was Bethlehem town. No, it was just a small rural setting. And, and, and the song, A Little Town of Bethlehem, is, it's, it's, it's accurate. It's true. It's true. It was the little town of Bethlehem. And yet it remains iconic to this day as being the place of the birth of the Savior of the world. And in fact, 60 years after Jesus was born there, 60 years later it's recorded in ancient journals of people visiting the little grotto where, where Christ was born. It was marked and visited often even back in those early days of that first century church. Located about five miles from Jerusalem, the population of that little village was, was barely over a hundred. And yet, because of the decree that Caesar had made, calling for a census for taxation purposes, everyone had to return to the place of their birth or where their lineage was traced from. And, and so now Bethlehem town, little rural, insignificant Bethlehem, now is teeming, it's teeming with people. And I, I think it's almost comical how that Octavius, who assumed his throne after the assassination of his uncle Julius Caesar, claims for himself the title of the August One, Caesar Augustus. That, that means the exalted one. He declared for himself, I am exalted. And he, he fashioned in his own mind 
the picture that he was somehow, because of the throne upon which he sat, that he had become deity. He was a, he was a man-god. After the traditions of the pharaohs of Egypt. And yet in reality it was his decree that set the world in motion that got Mary and Joseph from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem town so that the Savior of the world could be born there, thus fulfilling the scriptures that were written by prophets many years earlier. So here's, here's a highfalutin political mover and shaker of, of he, he, he took a republic and actually turned it into an empire. That's what Augustus did. And so now, now the ruler of the empire thinks that he has moved the world. But in reality, it was God as, as, as the master over him moving the heart of the man who thought he was a man-god to get a carpenter and his Jewish maid to the city of Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And so the Savior of the world was born there. Sometimes we get a picture, as the song says, that in the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea, but there were no beauty of the lilies unless they were fashioned somewhere outside of that grotto. It, it, it was odorous. Animals had lived there. I'm sure Joseph fixed it up as nicely as he could but there's only so much you can do. Sometimes when the inversion settles in the battle in the valley here, Brother Joe, you can catch the aroma of farms sending their their spices across the land. And we stood out in a parking lot the other day and said, uh, Chad said to me, he said, that smells like peanut butter. I'm like, dude, I don't eat peanut butter that smells like that. <laughs> what kind of peanut butter? You need to upgrade, man, I'm telling you. Well, I got an idea that, that that grotto didn't smell like peanut butter. And I'm sure that Joseph did the best he could, but, but I, I, I want to remind you that, that, that it wasn't a tidy wooden structure. In fact, history records it accurately that, that Jesus was born in what was, what, what was a, called a grotto. It was a, it was a cave where animals were sheltered. It was no wooden structure. Nobody brought a hammer and nails and saw and built this perfect structure like we see at nativity season. Nothing wrong with those. I'm just simply saying that in reality, it was a stone grotto, a rugged cave where the animals were kept. Away in a manger, no crib for his bed. Why? Why no crib? Why? Why was he born in a cave? Why? Why was the grotto the place that the virgin birth? took place. Why, why wasn't he in the nicety of, of a room, surrounded by the comforts that every man would desire for his wife as she brought forth her firstborn child? Why? Was it because of an obnoxious, abrasive, cursing, vile, 
wretched, pagan innkeeper that absolutely just, just refused to give them a room? Has, has it ever dawned on you that renting rooms was how he made his living? That's how he lived. That's how he provided for his family. So here's an innkeeper. There was no room in the inn. And, and oftentimes he's vilified in history as a guy that gruffly stands outside and says, No, I ain't got no rooms. Well, that's not a good way to do business. And the reality of the matter was, the reality of the matter was that since he made his living that way, he probably dealt gently with people in hopes of some return business somewhere down the line, but he's been painted as a villain when in truth the Bible doesn't give anything suggesting to that whatsoever. There is great application for this, as Nathan sang. It applies to all of us, I think, in America and in our homes and in our churches and in our lives. Do you know where, do you know why the innkeeper turned away Mary and Joseph? just simply because there was no room. That's why He sent them on their way. That's why the Christ child was born in a manger. That's why, that's why that the story of the innkeeper and the Savior of the world ended on that doorstep is because there literally was no room left in the inn. Chapter 2, verse 7 taught us as we read this morning, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I want to do this today. I want to take this part of the Christmas story and I want to apply it to us today. Because why was there no room? What were the reasons behind the turn away? Why, why was there a no vacancy sign basically hanging when Joseph and Mary approached the inn and talked with the innkeeper, why was it? We know he was born in a manger. We know he was there in the grotto. We know that he didn't, uh, didn't find room in the inn, but why? I think there's some really practical reasons that I want us to consider here today. First of all, there was no room in the inn because his life had become suddenly very crowded. His life had suddenly become crowded. Now, in reality, the innkeeper could do nothing about that because it was the decree of Caesar Augustus that, that changed literally everything. Not just for him, but for people all around him, for the world around him, for the culture around him. The, there was a decree that was made that changed literally everything. And now he's, he's left to deal with it. Life suddenly hits overdrive and everybody is swept downstream by, by a set of circumstances that are out of their control and a chain of events that they can do nothing about and suddenly there they are. How do I live in a world that has changed around me? I, I think we can understand that a little bit, can we not? 2020 rolled around. Everybody was looking forward to a great, incredible year. And I had some great things planned for South Valley. And then three months later, man, we're not even meeting in person as a church. We're going online. And God's used that. To this day, He's using that. 
So the reality of the matter is that if we're not careful, chains of events in our life can, can, can remove from us our effectiveness. And, and because life becomes crowded, if I could say it this way, we can meet the Lord at the doorstep and say, really, I, I don't have room right now. My life has changed. My life is busy. My life is crowded. I'm fighting for my job. I'm trying to figure out how all of this is going to fit. And if we're not careful, we can become so crowded in our life that Jesus doesn't get beyond the doorstep of who we are. The city was crowded. The inn was crowded. And his life was crowded. You know why most people aren't in church today? You know why so many people that name the name of the Lord Jesus don't have a walk with Him? They use His name, but that's as far as it goes. They have no true, genuine walk with Him. They don't meet Him daily. They don't talk with Him daily. They don't read His Word daily. They don't pray with Him daily. You know why, you know why that's a reality in so many lives? You know, you know why so many people confess that confess to know Him have such a hard time being faithful to Him? It's not that they're obnoxious or abrasive or willfully saying, I don't want him in my life. That's not why. The reason that happens in so many lives is just like the innkeeper, we're crowded. We, we allow things into our life that push him out. Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. What is mammon? It's the things in our world. Mammon. You know what mammon is? Walk into Walmart and stand in the middle and just start looking around. They ought to not call it Walmart. It ought to be Mammon Mart. Okay? I mean, really, it's just things. What is it? I mean, just, just things everywhere our world is surrounded by it listen to this verse romans 6 verse 16 listen know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants ye are to whom you obey whether of sin unto death or obedience and righteousness he's saying this look you got to make up your mind who are you going to serve who do you want to serve because whoever it is that you that you allow to press Christ off of the throne of your life, that's who you have become subservient to. Let, let me ask you a question, okay? I want you to throw a question out. I want you to take it, hold it, think about it. Then you can file 13 it, but just think about it. Okay, here's the question. What does your 30 pieces of silver look like? Is it a cabin? Is it a hobby? Is it, is, it a, is it a new home or a new car or a new anything? What does your 30 pieces of silver look like? What is it? Who is it that you allow to take up the room in your life that should have been given to Jesus Christ? Second reason why I think in a practical way that there was no room for him in the end is because he didn't know who it was that wanted in. I mean, really, he didn't know who it was that wanted in. 
Why was there no room? Because as, as the innkeeper stood there and talked, he said, we don't, I don't have any room. He had no idea who it was that they were seeking entrance into his, into his inn for. N- nobody said, hey, um, can I ask you a question? Do you possibly have a room where God could be born in human flesh? How, how would that look? Okay. When Joe steered, Joe, I hope you don't mind me saying this, because this, I love, I, I, I've always loved this. Years ago, when Joe first came, Joe comes to our church, and, and uh, we're great, great Joe. And Joe said to this, he said, you know why I told my wife, Marisa, I like coming to church here? And, and uh, I said, why is that, Joe? And he said, because God goes to church here. That, that blessed me. I want to have a track made, come to church with God. That'd be great. You know what I mean? Put out a sign that says, this is the church where God attends. Probably offend some people. But you know what? I want, you, I, I want people when they come, I want, them, I want them to sense the presence of the Lord. And so, so what, what would it do for that end? Think about that. If a guy could say, hey, God was born here. Do you think he could charge a higher price for the room? Room number 12, that's where God was born. And we charge double for that. I mean, have you ever thought about going to the White House and sleeping in the Lincoln Room and watching as his ghost looked at the fire? Anyhow, just rumors. I don't, just start trying to start rumors. I mean, I mean, have you ever thought about sleeping in one of the places where the famous people, I'm, uh, this is a rabbit, but we'll kill it and then move on. So I'm in, I'm in Joppa, Missouri, and I, I find the hideout of Bonnie and Clyde. Okay? It's, it's, they were there. It's the hideout. It was a great escape. There were guns blazing everywhere as they got out of there. And two policemen were killed. It's just, it's just very, it's a famous place in their history. They've made it into a bed and breakfast. Susie refuses to go there with me. <laughs> Dixie said, Dad, I'll go, you know. But my wife refuses to stay there. Dean, I am not staying someplace where murderers stayed. Well, she doesn't like Jesse James either, so we'll just, I mean, what, you can't help her. So, so here, here is, listen, here is, here is Mary. He didn't know them. He didn't know Mary and Joseph. He didn't know that, 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 that uh, uh, she was carrying God in her womb. The, 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 the message of the shepherds hadn't yet been delivered. For fear not, for behold, I, 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 I uh, bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day in this city of the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. She didn't, she, he never heard the message of the shepherds. The heavenly choir had not yet sung glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And, and so the, the innkeeper didn't know she's carrying the Messiah. She's carrying the Messiah. And he's going to be born and wrapped in the swaddling clothes of a sacrificial lamb. All he knew was that there was no room for them. Now, I'm going to go to my next point, but I want you to listen to me. If you saw Nathan's series on the universe, you have to sit there and be stunned. How can we be so nonchalant and indifferent about our relationship with the God, wait a minute, that created not just our world, but he created, he created the galaxies. Not just our galaxy, he created the galaxies 
Alpha Centauri. That's a planet. I've never forgot that from watching Lost in Space years ago. Very educational program. <laughs> Warning. But anyhow, so, yeah. And, 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 and I, mean, I mean, you know, you go out at night, you see the North Star. You know what God did? He called every star by name. So the reality of the matter is that God, the God of creation, the God of the world, the God that spoke everything into existence, and, and by His Word, the worlds were framed. That God, that's who wanted into that small town inn in Bethlehem that day, and that's who wants into your heart and your life and my heart and my life today. It's that God. He wants entrance into who we are. And I wonder if we have no room for Him in our heart and in our life because we've allowed other, th other things in. Number three, He had no room because of other people's demands. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I, I just want to tell you that working with the public can be stressful. <laughs> okay, it can be. You know, even if it's working in Walmart, at the sporting goods department, people want everything perfect. Work in a restaurant and have somebody come and sit down and their eggs aren't cooked just the way they want them cooked and they can act like a child. By the way, be careful with that. Act like you've got some Christianity when you eat at a restaurant. Leave a decent tip. If you don't, give a West Valley track. Not one of ours, okay? Don't ruin our testimony. Ruin Brother Powell's. I mean, the reality of the matter is this. Listen, listen, we, 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 we ought to act like Christians and in, in, in public. We ought to treat people decently. We ought to be respectful. You ought to say thank you. You ought to say no thank you. You ought, you ought, to, you ought to treat people, the, the lowest worker, you ought to treat with dignity. They're made in the image of God. It's important and I have no doubt that this was a stressful week for Mr. No Vacancy. I have no doubt that people had been in his face asking for a favor or requesting a room or, 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 or somehow uh, uh, complaining maybe even about the accommodations. But he was, he was up to his ears in people all week long. And he found himself marching to the beat of everybody else's drummer instead of his own and because of the demands of other people, it caused him to miss the opportunity of a lifetime when it came knocking at his door. He could have had God born in his end, but instead all he could see was other people had demanded the room and there was nothing left. Now I want to say this to you. If we're not careful, we can get so wrapped up in meeting the expectations of others and what we actually sometimes even think their expectations are. It's not true, but but we imagine they're expecting this of us, that we're blinded to what God brings to our doorstep. We can't, we can't, we can't see. We get stuck on the treadmill uh, of being a people pleaser rather than a God pleaser. And because of that, we spend, our, we, we spend our life trying to fulfill everybody else's expectations of who we are. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a good servant. In 2 Timothy 2, 4, 1 John, John wrote, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments, and do those things which are pleasing in whose sight? His sight. His sight. 
I'm trying to please him. Galatians 1.10, for do I now persuade men or, or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. 1 Corinthians 7.23, listen to this. You're bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Man, you talk about a scalding verse. Listen to that. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Doesn't mean that we don't serve people. It means that, that we're not subservient to people. They're not our masters. Let me throw one good bit of advice out, and then I've got to move quickly. But let, me, let me give you a good bit of advice. You ready? Never receive criticism from somebody that you would not accept advice from. Do not receive criticism from someone you would not accept advice from. If you wouldn't take their advice, why do you care about their criticism? What do you, I don't care. I don't think you, I don't care. I wouldn't take your advice, so I, I don't care about your criticism. That'll save you from a lot of worry, a lot of fret, a lot of tossing and turning at night. Because the people that you would not receive advice from are the ones that will criticize you the most. So don't live your life. Listen, don't let other people's expectations of you define who you are and how you live and what you do. Number four, you ready? There was no room, listen, there was no room in the end. Why? Because he was successful. You think about that? I mean, he's an innkeeper. What do innkeepers do? They provide rooms for people. And guess what that does for them? It provides them money. Okay? So he's making money. His end's full. He's not hurting. He's not depressed. He's not saying, man, we got two more rooms. We could just rent those two rooms. We could make our payment. No, no. It's full, man. He, he is maxed out. And so the, the reality of the matter is it spells success for him. And I'm sure that though he was tired, uh, he was still yet thrilled. Wait a minute. But not all success is good success. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all uh, to, according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Listen to this. Listen. And then thou shalt have good Success. Only time success is used in the Bible, the word. It's the only time the word is used. Good success. And it's called good success to let us know that there are some successes that are bad. What is a bad success? It's when we succeed at something that, that, that interferes with and hinders our fellowship with Christ. It's not a good, that's not a good success, you see bad. I know people that have succeeded at business and it's hurt them. I know people that have gotten the things they prayed for and it's hurt them. I know people that have, that have bought a brand new home and it hurt them. Because they spent their Sundays and their time building the house that God had given them in answer to their prayer. I remember one time a guy saying, would you pray for me about a house? And I said, yeah. So we prayed, man. I prayed with him for months. We got down at the altar together and prayed together. He gets the house and drops out of church. I'm like, dude, I'm not praying for anybody to get a house again. Just, kidding me? 
Pray for you to get a house, and now you've let that house pull you from God? No, no, no. Sometimes there's, sometimes there's bad success. If your job is pulling you from the Lord, if, if, if something that you're trying to do in your life is pulling you from the Lord, that's not good success. It's bad. You ever think about how his bad success caused him to miss some things? The things you miss. Wait a minute. He missed the shepherd's story. He never heard it. You know why? Because he was successful. And so because of his success, he missed some things in his life. He missed the shepherd's story. Wait a minute. He missed looking into the eyes of God in human flesh. No, no, no. Listen to me. He missed the coup of a baby who was born to save the world. He missed it. He could have held the Savior of the world. There's a guy, Temple Baptist Church in Knoxville, Tennessee, Tim Tomlinson. Tim's on staff with Clarence Sexton. He's a great guy. He's a, he's a good guy. His dad was one of the most faithful men I've ever known in my life. We were on staff together when I was, I was just, just a kid at Bible Baptist in Savannah. Well, Tim was just a little baby, and they would, I would get Tim after church. I would hold him and walk him around. I've accused him since of spitting up on my shoulder. But, but, you know, I held Tim when he was a baby. And I, I tease him about that when I say, I held you when you were. First of all, that really doesn't do much for him, but it very much ages me. You know what I'm saying? But can you imagine holding the Savior of the world? And he missed all of it simply because of the fact he was successful. Don't, don't allow, look at me, listen to me. Don't allow what you call success to cause you to miss the blessings that God drops at your doorstep. Last of all, he had no room because his heart was hardened. Now we talked about that in Sunday school this morning, how that a miracle had been done. In fact, Jesus did the miracle of feeding of the 5,000. And then he walks to them on the water and, and they were shocked because their heart was hardened. And then he, then, then he calms the sea. And then he feeds 4,000. And then they're arguing amongst themselves because he talks about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herodians. And, and they're fighting amongst themselves because they shrugged off the miracle. The thrill of the miracle was gone. It had become mundane. This is a hardened heart. Well, preacher, why would you said the guy wasn't wasn't obnoxious or abrasive, but I want you to think about this for just a moment. Here's an expectant mother. She's taken the minimum of a five-day journey, pregnant, with child, on the back of a donkey. She's traveling. Donkeys don't have good shock absorbers, okay? So she's hurting. Not, wait a minute. Not only was it a long journey, but if you know anything about that journey, it, not only was it arduous, but it was treacherous. It was treacherous. It was a difficult journey for her to take. And the, and the innkeeper knew of her condition. He knew everything about that. that that's indicated in the Scripture. So, so I'm standing here as a gentleman, and, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, rearrange some people. 
Can I say something? Can, can I really get off base? Will you let me do that? Nobody votes. Okay. I'm going to do it anyhow. I'm a southern boy, deep south, Savannah, Savannah, Georgia. I'm deep south. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm southern by birth. I understand all of the southern traditions. I grew up I grew up in what was the segregated South. I understand that. I was there when we, when we went through all the process and the struggles. But I also was raised by a mother who was a lady. And whoever it was, whatever his name was, that wouldn't give up a seat to a lady on a bus, I don't care the color of her skin. But whoever told Rosa Parks she had to sit at the back of the bus is sickeningly sickeningly, nauseatingly less than a man and a gentleman in my book. My mother taught me when you're in a room and a lady walks in, you stand up and you give her your chair. That's how I was raised in the Deep South. Because I, I, was, raised by, I was raised by a mother who understood kindness and gentleness and chivalry. And we've lost chivalry. And so here's a man, a pregnant woman comes to his door. Well, Go at least find if there's anybody that'll let her. This is a pregnant woman. She's going to have a child soon. Would you, would you let her have your room? Are there no gentlemen's here? Would nobody say, you can have my room to have your child? Wait a minute, Mr. Innkeeper. Give her your room. Sleep in the hall. Sleep in the kitchen. Sleep outdoors. But somehow, somehow figure out some way that you can meet the needs of this woman who was on the verge of childbirth. You know, it's really easy, is it not, to allow the things of the world to harden us today? We become so self-absorbed that we lose feeling. Let me read some scripture. Just listen to this. Ephesians chapter 4, listen. Paul said, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. You know what he's saying? Don't live like a lost person. Don't live like other Gentiles. That's not how I want you to live. Listen to this. Having the understanding darkened and being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Listen to this statement. Who, listen, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work out all uncleanness with greediness, but you've not so learned Christ. It ought to make the hair on the back of your neck stand up when you think about the potential that you and I have to get to a place, Brother Ernie, where we are past feeling. We've lost our feeling. We, we have no ability to sympathize. We have no ability to empathize. We have no ability to feel for people. We've lost our care. Our hearts have become galvanized to everything around us. That's a, that's a sad place to be. Let me tell you about my Savior. Hebrews 4.15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Can I tell you this about Jesus? He feels for you and me. He hurts for you. He sympathizes. He empathizes. Listen to me. He cares for what you care about. I heard somebody say a while back because of a tragedy, where was God? 
Now, here's the better question. Where were you? Where were you at? Where was God in the Holocaust? No, no, that's not the question. The question is, where was everybody else in the Holocaust? That turned their, that turned their blinded eyes because a race of people that were despised was being exterminated in the ovens of Europe. Where were, where were, where were people? It's not where was God. It's where were people at? Where were the people that really cared? Where's God with the homeless in our valley? No, that's not the question. The question is, where are you with the homeless? Our, our Reaching the Mark ministry is hopefully going to crank back up in January, where we preach there once a month. And, and, and if you've got boots and coats and things like that, we go deliver it. We go deliver it downtown in the homeless. Well, there are people there. There, there are people there that are there of their own cause. Yeah, and you, you've been where you've been because of your own cause also. Jesus didn't say, "Give, give to people that, you know, that stumble into it." No, Jesus said, "Naked and you clothe me not." We're all where we're at. Whatever, wherever you are, wherever I am, we're here because that's what we chose to be. I know there. Are, other circumstances, but I'm just simply saying it, it's not where is God. God cares. The problem with this world is not a God who created it perfectly. The problem with this world is that people have really messed up what God gave us. Hardened heart. Can I say this in, in closing? Can I encourage you to be sensitive to the people that God brings your way? Say a kind word. Maybe it's a kind deed. Maybe it's a card. Maybe it's, it's a, maybe it's just something you can do for them. Just don't lose your ability to feel. Guard it. And be aware of the people around you and how that you can somehow be a blessing to them. He... His heart was hardened, and so he missed the opportunity to be a blessing to the vehicle through which the Savior of the world was coming. Where are you at? Where are you at? Is there room in your life for him? Let's bow our heads, could we? I don't know how crowded you are here today. I don't know what's going on in your life. I, I don't know. We're all crowded, but boy, if we allow our priorities to crowd him out, we've made the wrong decision. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we'd like to take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure that you're saved. Maybe you want to kneel right by your pew there, however, whatever God deals in your heart. Why don't you just pray now and ask God to help you. God gets so busy and so crowded and so caught up in bad success that you miss the opportunity He brings to your doorstep.
Amen.